0: Welcome to the Sustock Podcast. I'm Susumu Maraki. Today, we're going to wrap up our amazing NFL divisional previews on this podcast. And I have an amazing guest to cover the AFC East, probably quite possibly the most story-filled division out of all of the NFL, possibly. He is the host of the Zach Gelb Show, airing from 6 to 10 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Radio, 3 to 7 Pacific. Joining the show is Zach Gelb. Zach, welcome to the show. Sus, appreciate you
1: having me. We may have to do a remote. I don't know if you want Ryan, Trace, Hickey in your house, but I'm looking at your setup. That looks like a very comfy couch, and I don't want to be just like Ken Carmen, even though I love Ken Carmen. But he's absolutely right. The wood, uh, paneling and and like the the way that it's right behind you on the walls. I don't know why I can't say that. It's a very nice job. The the, the place is well set up. This is awesome. We just need a few sus fat heads on the walls to kind of juice up the studio and then it'll be
0: looking like a million bucks. You know, I can't believe this. Cause I was fearing that this may not have been the, my basement may not have been the best setup for any recording, but it unintentionally became one of the, one of the best decisions I made was it was between my my own room upstairs or here, but nevertheless, we're not here to talk about my basement. We're not here to talk about the setup. We're here to talk about the AFC East. And I wanted to have you on specifically because I knew for a fact that this division was going to be the most talked about division out of all of the league. We have at least three different teams going through significant changes, and we have another that's on the cusp of contending for a Super Bowl. So let's start off with that team that's contending for the Super Bowl. Let's start off with the Bills. They come into this season over or under of eleven. I give their their coach, and I do this with all all the coaches with Sean McDermott. I give him a rating of nine out of ten. The guy is really just brought an excellent, a winning culture to this team. And a couple of key additions that they made, notably, I'd say, Emmanuel Sanders adding to the receiving core, and they got a backup, a capable backup for Josh Allen, just in case, and God forbid anything mm. happens to him. They got the Nickelodeon MVP, Mitch Trubisky. He's on the team now, which is great. So, Zach, the question I want to post to you, and this is really the big question for this team, is where do the Bills need to improve if they're to ever surpass the Chiefs?
1: Well, if they're going up against Trubisky, if they have to put Trubisky out on the field over Josh Allen, then that's a big time problem. Uh, here's why you love the, the Buffalo Bills. If you had to make that argument of going up against the Kansas City Chiefs, they have the quarterback, uh, but where they need to improve is two areas, putting pressure on the quarterback and they don't have to be as dominant as Tampa Bay was in the Super Bowl. But what I think is so important is the run game and last year the run game took a step back so this year devin motor singletary who had a solid first year then regressed in year number two has to have a very serviceable year number three you don't need a bell cow back in this league anymore but they need someone that could help out josh allen yes josh Allen, your Mignon, he's the the main focal point of your offense but you need someone if you're up by seven in the fourth quarter and you get the ball with six minutes to go, you need a running back or two that could extend the drive and not even give the ball back to the Kansas city chiefs, or at least put you up then uh, by two scores or 14 points. Cause you know, uh, no lead up against the Kansas city chiefs is safe until you see zeros on the scoreboard when the game is final.
0: They, you also, you mentioned about Devin Singletary, but they also have another back Zach Moss who they drafted last year. And, that is definitely a weak spot. I always will find that the bills have just never had like a capable tight end, or at least one. That's like a one that you want. You remember, like they have guys like Dawson Knox on that team, Lee Smith, I remember. And there was like a third guy that I'm blanking on that they had, but like, they, they need like guys aside from like Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley, they need like other options to help Josh Allen, just in case those uh, those primary targets are covered. So is that for you? Is that, another, are you concerned that they may not have enough depth as at the skill position? I'm not. And
1: I think what a lot of people forget in this, because everyone looks at Cole Beasley, they go, wow, Cole Beasley had a career year last year. Stefan Diggs, he had a career year this year. And a lot of times people make it out to be that it was all Stefan Diggs going to Buffalo that changed Josh Allen. Now part of that is true, but I also think Josh Allen, when we mentioned Cole Beasley, having, a career year, a year ago, deserves credit for the way that he played, uh, because let's remember when they traded for Stefan Diggs, some people questioned the move and they said, OK, I admire what they're doing, trying to go get a number one wide receiver for Josh Allen. But we looked at uh, we looked at Stefan Diggs as a very good player. Not everyone called him great. And last year he showed he could be great. So I think Allen, with what he showed last year, yes, it helps. And I like the move, bringing in Emmanuel Sanders this year. That's a a depth piece. And I think Gabe Davis is also a solid player for them. He did some good things uh, a year ago for that football team. I think Josh Allen makes people around him better. So that's why I'm not concerned. And I do think they have a solid foundation up front and they have enough at the uh, 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 the skill position players to go get back to an AFC championship game this year. My big concern for Buffalo is the defense because defensively, even when they didn't have really good offenses, that defense was humming under Sean McDermott. Last year was the first year we really saw the Buffalo Bills defense under Sean McDermott struggle. So they need to turn it around this year because yes, it's important to put up the points and go on the, the big drives up against the Chiefs, but you also need to have a defense make Mahomes have a mistake or two in the game to have a shot up against them.
0: I will say this, that that defense does have a lot of blue chippers, a lot of key guys that are different players. Yeah. Secondary is stellar because they have probably one of the better safety pairings in the league and Poyer and Micah Hyde. They also have a shutdown corner and Tredavious white, but, and they also have like guys up front, like Ed Oliver's pretty good. Ed Oliver's pretty good. Milano Edmonds decent linebackers but as you said before you it's the pass rushing that's how you're going to beat the Chiefs and I really believe that they did a pretty good job addressing that position they got the guy from the U Ruzal who they drafted with their first draft pick they also have Ebeneza who was projected as a first draft pick last year he dropped off and then those are guys that they need to step up they need those guys to create enough pressure to really bother the star quarterbacks in in not just you know, in the division, but also like all across the league, like if, if you're going to go back and face the chiefs, you have to get to Patrick Mahomes with not like five or six people. Cause he's going to punish that. You need like four, three, three men, rushes, pass rushes in order to even remotely compete with the chiefs.
1: Yeah. And, and let's also uh, look at it. The first five weeks of the season, Kansas city, they see the Browns, they see the Ravens and then they also see the Buffalo bills. So we'll have an idea of how those teams match up against Kansas city. But when it actually matters in January, those teams are all going to look drastically different because of the injury bug. And, you know, as you get through a season, you mesh better and you find maybe some things that you didn't know that you had that ends up maybe what we thought was a weakness ends up becoming a strength of that football team.
0: Let's go on to the Miami dolphins over under nine and a half and Flores, I would give an, Eight out of ten, because like again, my God, this is one of the better rounds of like Belichick disciples that we've seen, and he's probably might be the best one, out of all of them. Key addition: they drafted Jalen Waddle, who was a teammate of Tua Tugauiloa, but they did lose Ryan Fitzpatrick. But this is Tua's team now, this is officially? Well, depending on what's going on with the whole Watson situation, which. From what I've heard, it nationally is, is a thing. But if you go and talk to people in Miami, it's almost as if all the locals there, the fans have just completely ignored the whole Watson rumors. And they're just saying, Tua's our guy. That's our guy. And I guess the big question that goes in is, was Tua's injury in Alabama, was that really like a two-year injury? And could this be the year where he's fully healthy? Because that hip injury that he suffered, it was said that it was a similar injury that Bo Jackson had that forced him to retire. But do you think that after two years of just not only just recovery physically, but also mentally, do you think that this is really Tua's time to shine? Well,
1: it better be his time to shine. And I was a big believer in Tua Tungo-Vailoa, and it shows you how quickly people change an opinion in the NFL. Because two years ago, it was tank for Tua, tank for Tua, tank for Tua. And now a lot of people are out on Tua Tungo-Vailoa. I think individually Tua will have a solid year and let's be real and I'll be the first one. I am an advocate when you have a young quarterback, play him right away, get him on the field. Last year in Miami, and I was okay with it in the moment because Tua was your future. I was okay when they made the move at three and three, especially when they had because of all the COVID stuff around the league, the bye week gets switched up on them. I was fine with it, but now looking back at it, something the Dolphins can't do, but I could do as a talk show host I do understand now the side of it how they should have continued to rock and roll with Ryan Fitzpatrick because not only was Fitzpatrick playing well, the team was 3 and 3 and it seemed a bit unnecessary when you look back at it almost a year ago. So, I do think there you're onto something there that Tua maybe wasn't fully ready coming off the hip dislocation. Now, there's no excuses. I know there's concerns on that offensive line. Uh, but they they you look at the skill position players when Wolf Fuller comes back from the suspension, he's a good football player. If he could stay healthy, you got Devontae Parker and they got Jalen Waddle, and you have Giseki at tight end. There's enough there. Tua has to show us this year that in the NFL he could stay above water and not sink. And if he does sink this year, and if he's the reason and the main reason why they don't make the playoffs, because he could play well and they could still miss the playoffs but if he does not play well and they miss the playoffs, well, guess what? Uh, Mike Florio said it, Stephen Ross. Uh, he really wants Deshaun Watson. I know that's a complicated situation and there is a chance also with all the draft picks that they have that you could maybe see them move up in the draft. If they do fall in love uh, with the quarterback, I think two is going to have a good individual season. Um, so I would anticipate that he is the quarterback next year, but then you get into if Watson gets cleared and Watson is available, you know Deshaun Watson is a surefire top five quarterback in this league when it pertains to on the field matters.
0: What I, what I want to see is whether like he's just mentally like ready because like when you have like, devastating injuries, and, I've, and I hear this with guys that tor- tear the ACLs, like it's not even sometimes it's a two-year injury, which is you take one year to recover physically. I agree. You take another year to try to get back into it mentally because you need to have trust in your body. Again, you need to be able to trust that you can make those movements that you were able to do pre-injury and with the hip, it's like you don't screw around with hip injuries like ever. It's like tearing your labrum or again, tearing up your knee. You just, it's devastating. It could be career altering for a lot of players too.
1: And also I agree with what you're saying from the injury side, but how much is Tu'a going to be looking over his shoulder cuz he could say Brian Flores supports me Brian Flores gave him a a, a a you know a little bit of a a confidence boost when he talked to the media I heard the Brian Flores audio it didn't make me seem that they were all in on Tu'a Tunga vailoa we've read the reports uh, from Pro Football Talk about Stephen Ross so how much will the mental side of this and hey injury shouldn't be an excuse anymore because he's a year removed more than a year removed from the injury But now it's how much is he looking over his shoulder whenever he has a bad game because maybe the owner's thinking elsewhere or maybe someone in the front office or the coaching staff is thinking about moving on from Tua.
0: One last question before we go on to the Jets, which is, do you think that their defense can repeat what they did last year? Because they really stepped up last year that their breakout performance was against the Rams and they made life hell for Jared Goff that game. That was really like their them showing up and it wasn't just Xavier and Howard leading the league in interceptions. They have other key pieces on that team as well. So is there any chance that you see that this team can sustain what they did last year? Or do you think that that was just a one-time thing and they're going to drop down again?
1: I talked to Leroy Horde, uh when we were previewing the Dolphins and he does a, a talk show, former NFL running back. He does a talk show down in the Miami area. Now in Seven Hundred and Ninety, the ticket, one of our affiliates, he thinks the defense is going to be a top five unit in football. Um, I don't know if they're going to be a top five, but here's what I do know. Brian Flores knows how to coach. All right. That's evident. The first year they're supposed to be the number one pick. It wasn't even a consideration that they could be the second overall pick. They end up being five. Last year, I know it was a terrible ending to their season. They got dismantled and eviscerated by the Buffalo Bills in that final game of the year, but they did have 10 wins. I trust Brian Flores, even going back to his days in New England. Remember, he was the one that instructed Malcolm Butler, Malcolm, three corners, go, get on the field before the game-winning game winning uh, interception. Not to remind you, because I know you're a, a Seahawks fan, up against the Seattle Seahawks in Super Bowl 49. So I like Flores, and he gets the most out of his players. Because I look at the Dolphins roster; it's an okay roster, but it's not a great roster. So that you know, you have to give a lot of credit to Flores for what he's done the first two years. So you would expect him to continue to have that gradual rise uh, when you look at a roster that you hope continues to get better. But he knows how to coach his uh, his players. And he knows how to get the most out of the players, even the ones that aren't that great.
0: Yeah. That's like kind of the impression that I've had about Flores was that he's, I think the key thing was like, he's trying his best to not be Belichick, which is a lot a problem that a lot of these Belichick disciples have is they're trying to emulate their predest, their guy way too much, their mentor too much. And Flores is just trying to be himself. And by the way, is that actually true? Is he the guy that the mastermind behind the Butler play? He was the guy that told them that like, Hey, get out there. You're going to intercept this uh, little slant route that they're going to run. Well, on NFL films and
1: the do your job, he's the one in the sideline that's saying Malcolm three corners go. So oh I'm God. assuming that there was a play call that was relayed on the sideline. And then he goes, okay, Malcolm Butler get on the field. It was Malcolm three corners go. Cause <sighs> that was the, the, the coverage that they were playing.
0: Oh God. I don't want, that was a
1: great moment by the way i've never jumped jumped up and down in my life before like in that moment i had nine heart attacks in that moment i was like a fat kid in a candy store now you probably had nine heart attacks in that moment too and and then uh, i but it wasn't started it it
0: wasn't any elation for you (laughs) no it was awful it was probably one of the the bleep just happened because okay rewind here for a second Uh, right before that play jermaine curse makes probably a david tyree-esque catch yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. So, so ridiculous that you, you look at the sideline, Bill Belichick. It looked like he just froze, like he just kind of just had what a deja play. vu. Oh my god, he just went right into a coma, that, like, right on the sidelines, just like that. And then I went for the chocolate chip cookies at my Super Bowl party when that happened because I was start already starting to depression eat. Oh my god. And then afterwards, I think even in disbelief that ha- that play happens, I think they don't call the timeout in that play afterwards, and then they just rush up, they go for the, they go for. Um, I think there was one play they tried to go for, they run with uh, Lynch. They ran with Marshawn Lynch, and he he almost scored. It's the most
1: underrated play in the game. Uh, Dante Hightower bench presses your one of your offense, alignment throws him off and tackles Marshawn Lynch right at the one or two-yard line.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Dante Hightower and how important that guy is when we cover the Pats. So Very. Okay, we're going to. I'm going to try to completely forget that this whole that that moment happened. (laughs) I'm going to completely forget it because now I'm frazzled. I'm officially frazzled again. All right, let's go to the Jets. Good. We're going to calm ourselves down by just destroying the Jets right now. Anyway, over under six, and I give their coaching rating Robert Sala five out of ten. I give it. I get all new coaches get five out of ten. They get they get a neutral rating until they prove otherwise. So they drafted Zach Wilson with the second overall pick. They get. With Robert Sala, they brought in the other LaFleur, Mike LaFleur, as their offensive coordinator, and they signed a lot of notable guys. They got Corey Davis as one to give a weapon to Zach Wilson, and they also drafted Aloy Vera Tucker to shore up that offensive line, which is a commitment that their GM, Joe Douglas, has made to really shore up the offensive line and really help and protect their new quarterback. So I guess the big question that I have for for this team is, how can Robert Sala replicate the running success that he saw in Sanford with the Jets? Because I think other underrated pieces, that I'm pretty sure they brought in one of the offensive line coaches that really was a key pivotal factor in making the 49ers such an effective running game.
1: And they, they also did draft the, the running back out of USC, uh, UNC and Michael Carter. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with that team. I like Joe Douglas. I knew him a little bit. Uh, in Philadelphia, when I was living in Philly and, and covering the Eagles and every, you can't find someone that has a bad word to say about him. Now, I know Jeff fans are going to say we've heard this story before. So really, this draft that he just had and next year's draft is going to determine how long he's going to be the, the general manager of the New York Jets. Uh, but I, I like Beckton if you could say healthy, and I like the draft pick of Elijah Barrett Tucker. They already have Zach Wilson just because of the coach. And who knows if the coach is going to be great or not? but they already have Zach Wilson in a better spot than Sam Darnold ever was in when he was under Adam Gase. Cause Adam Gase was a horrible incompetent and just an abysmal head football coach. And yeah, they still need a number one wide receiver, but they have Corey Davis who's solid. They drafted Elijah Moore, but we'll see what he can do. Uh, so I think the jets, this is how you define success. If you're the jets, do you keep the quarterback healthy? Does the quarterback show you this year okay, I had some good moments and I was able to bounce back even when I had bad moments. I would compare, if you're a Jet, if you're a Jet fan, because the Jets aren't going to be good this year, we know that. If I'm the Jets, I would kind of want to be like Carolina last year, which I think Carolina had five or six wins. It was nothing great, but they were in a lot of games. They were in games in the fourth quarter, and they just didn't have the talent, and they weren't ready to win those games but show some signs. Give me a reason if I'm a Jets fan to want to watch this team in the fourth quarter. Cause almost every game last year, it seemed as if after the first quarter of the first half click, let me go to red zone and watch Scott Hanson click. uh, Let me go and check out whatever other games are on locally, or just go uh, check what my fantasy team is doing. So give me a reason if I'm a Jets fan, which I'm not to uh, watch, uh, this football team in the fourth quarter consistently this year. I give Salah, Salah's three-year plan, right? That when you have a team that really has nothing, I give you three years. First year's a wash, second year you got to improve, and going into your number three, you got to have playoff aspirations, and we'll see if Robert Sala could do that. He wanted to come here. Remember that. He could have taken almost any job he wanted. He was such a, a young, hot coaching commodity on the defensive side of the ball, and I also like how he's not going to call the plays defensively, and he's going to delegate because too many times – You have a coach come in, bury his nose on one side of the football and totally just ignore and isolate the other side. He is what you want in a head football coach. Now he's got to show us that he is going to be the guy. Early on, he's passed all the tests, but now the games start to count. So as I said, when you get to your number three, you got to still be feeling confident about Robert Sala. If you're not, then it's the same old Jets and it's okay the Jets will be finding a new general manager and head coach from a, a few years from now if you don't feel that way in three years.
0: I will say that there was a lot of defensive players th- who, even when they left San Francisco, they were still vouching for Robert Sullivan. Oh, I remember, they love him. Yeah, Richard Sherman was like the biggest voucher for him. Like, he was just saying, like, how is this guy not a head coach yet? How is this guy not on a team leading, leading a team yet? And I think if you're a Jets fan, you have to feel a lot of confidence that there's so many defensive players that have vouched for this guy. And if you get enough people, I feel like if you get enough of a sample size of enough players that just vouch for one guy to be a head coach, it says a lot by, by how much they respect that guy.
1: Well, maybe it could kind of be similar to Brian Flores, right? I threw up the Panthers. How about if you're a jet fan, you would take the dolphins uh, trajectory right now where in year one, all right, people didn't expect much. You win five games in year two, you win 10 games. And now you have a team that you think could be a playoff team. That's what that's what Robert Sala has to do. What Brian Flores just did in Miami, and what he's doing in Miami,
0: and what Matt Rule is trying to do in, in Carolina. It's an excellent company to be a part of, to be associated with. Let's wrap up by going to your New, York, New England Patriots, which over under nine and a half coaching rating. I just give it Belichick out of ten. It's just Belichick. I think he's ascended past this te- out of one out of 10 ratio rating. He has just become his own ranking, which is above like Belichick over 10, basically. Key additions, they they went on a major splash this past offseason. They get Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry to fill out the tight end positions. They sorely missed tight ends last year. Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne as at, at wide receiver. They get Calvin Noy back. They get Matt. They sign Matt Judon to short up the defensive side. And they get Dante Hightower back, who I think is the biggest dif- difference maker on that defense. Like when he was gone last year, that defense was clearly missing somebody. Yes. They had the secondary, but Hightower is the nucleus of this team. That guy basically helps that defense hum. And I guess like, here's the question that I have with everything that's going on with this team. And I, and and you know, you're know, you going to expect like, okay, you see, is this guy going to ask like a Mac Jones question? It's like, no, I'm actually going to say this. Do you think this is a Bill Belichick vengeance here? Do you think he's going to basically, he looked at last year and he says, everybody's disrespecting me. He's saying that, oh, it was Brady that was leading the Pats and everything. But no, do you think that this is a season where Bill Belichick will exact his wrath on the NFL and he's going to coach like he's never coached before?
1: Uh, I don't know if he's gonna coach like he never coached before. The guy's won six Super Bowls as an NFL head coach, but I do think there's gonna be part of him that even with all of his success—and let's be real, Belichick can never make the playoffs again—and he's still considered uh, considered one of, if not the greatest coach of all time for what he's done the last 20 years. But I do think there's a part of him that wants to give a middle finger to a lot of people that are doubting Bill Belichick and the hoodie and maybe he feels a little bit disrespected and slighted for the way the conversation has gone down uh, in the last year. I think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll be 10 and seven. I like Mac Jones. I'm very happy that they elected to go with Mac Jones over Cam. They got a solid offensive line. They got a good run game. Wide receivers aren't anything special, but they got the two tight ends, like you mentioned. And defensively, even with Stefan Gilmore out the first six weeks, because he's on the pup list, I love the secondary for the last few years. And the linebacking core, you're exactly right. It took a big hit. A few years ago, when they went up against the Rams in the Super Bowl, they had Jamie Collins, they had Dante Hightower, they had Kyle Van Noy. Collins no longer on the team. He wasn't on the team last year. Dante Hightower out because of COVID, and Van Noy was in Miami for what was supposed to be a four year contract, and they got rid of him after one year. Now Van Noy comes back. You have Hightower in there. I think this defense is going to be a better defensive unit than what they were last year. Cause they were missing some of the pieces. So with the combination of the way they run the ball with the combination of the way they play defense, I think the quarterback is going to win offense, a rookie of the year. I have the Patriots at 10 and seven, which is still an adjustment to say with the extra game and they make their triumphant return to the NFL
0: playoffs. I want to say that my bold prediction for this defense is that they will be a top two defense. I really genuinely believe that having Dottie Hightower back is going to make such a difference. And not to mention, they have a lot of blue chipper guys that, are, that they didn't sign, like guys like Uche and Winovich. I love those guys. I love both of them. And I really think that you have the depth at, on the defensive side. When you have a defense that can support a rookie quarterback who is still trying to get a feel for everything and Mac Jones, there's gonna, clearly going to be an adjustment period. It's this case for almost all rookies. They yeah, have some good jobs some bad. Have
1: more good than bad, though, at the end of the year, right? Yeah. Isn't that how you kind of feel with the rookie quarterback?
0: Yeah, do you do you feel like they the office is set up in a way that's perfect that's going to help Mac Jones in at least adjust for the first couple of games because I always feel like when a team has a capable tight end and capable running backs that's already a good start for a quarterback for a rookie quarterback because it means that they have reliable targets or fail-safes just in case they get overwhelmed by the pressure or they they can't get to a certain read, they can't get get a guy open, they can't like go anywhere, but they having like a fail safe, someone that they could rely on if anything breaks down like that. Do you feel like that's important for, to help a rookie quarterback? A, a thousand percent
1: that uh, a rookie quarterback's best friends are an offensive line and a run game. And I guess you could also say an offensive coordinator and Josh McDaniels, who's going to tell Mac Jones quick passes, quick passes, one, two pass the football. Uh, so I think early on, you'll see a lot of run game. You'll see good blocking. And you'll see a lot of quick passes from Mac Jones. So I think he's in a position where he's set up to succeed this year. And I think the offense is better tailored to him than it would be for Cam Newton.
0: Yeah. What I've heard was that with Cam, you have to run an offense a certain way. You have to run in in a way that completely tailored to him. Whereas with Mac, it's a lot more malleable. There's certain things you could do different, run the offense in different ways with Mac Jones, which is kind of amazing. I was just thinking, that you you saw that story that popped up earlier this week, which was that Mac Jones apparently was teaching Cam Newton some about the offense a little bit. It was like I, I don't know I find that very much bogus, but at the same time it just kind of makes me think that the stories I heard about Mac Jones coming out of training camp, I've heard people compare them to similar stories that we've heard from Russell Wilson's rookie year in Seattle, which Russ was like already like taking command of the offense in his rookie season and training camp. And there's stories about Mac Jones doing, this, doing something very similar. Yeah, I,
1: I love Rob Ninkovich who shared that story. I have no clue if it is true or not. Um, it's kind of tough to believe, though, that a quarterback that was in the system for a year had to rely on the rookie quarterback to teach him the system. So I'll say that. But Mac went over that locker room with his leadership, his personality, and let's be real. I'm not a big tracker of training camp. I hate when people uh, tell me, oh, this guy was like 8 of 11 on the day. And uh, the preseason games, I think we put a little bit too much stock into. And I think they value the joint practices more from coaches that I just talked to uh, around the league. And almost every opportunity that was presented this year, I'm not saying that it was every day in training camp and every day in the preseason and all that but you just watch it and everything you read Mac was the better quarterback. So Mac won the competition. That's why Mac is QB number one. Now it raises the question, why isn't Cam on the roster? That's a little bit more complicated. Did something go more wrong than we know about when Cam had to sit out five days or maybe Belichick went to Cam, told him you didn't win the job and maybe Cam just said, okay, I don't want to be a part of the organization anymore. And Belichick did then grant him his release. So I don't know why Cam isn't on the roster, but he shouldn't have been the starting quarterback. He's not. You can, though, make a case that they should have kept him around as QB, two, but that's not the case, and I guess you just got to trust the hoodie in Bill Belichick.
0: I want to say that the way you say that you're projecting the pass to get, like, 10 wins, so are you... Looking at this division, it's very hard not to look at the Bills as predicting them as the divisional winners. Do you feel that this division could have three playoff teams? It has a... An opportunity to do so. I did not pick three
1: teams from the AFC East. In the AFC East, I, I went with Buffalo. The North, I went with the Brownies. The South, I went with the Tennessee Titans. In the West, I went with Kansas City. Then my three wild card teams were the Ravens, the Patriots, and the Chargers. So the, those are the the seven teams that I went with for the playoffs this year in the AFC. Are
0: the Dolphins at all going to be able to fight? There's so uh, at least, are they at least going to be in the conversation of the final? They're in contention. Uh, There's no doubt
1: about it. They're in contention. I would not be surprised if Miami uh, makes the playoffs. I just like New England better than them. Uh, I know the Ravens have been hit with the injury bug already, but I still like the Ravens better than them. And um, I went with Herbert just because I I, I look at that team, I, I like that roster
0: a little bit better than what Miami has. All right, Zach, thanks so much for popping on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Let the people know how they can reach out to you on social media, what you've been up to.
1: Yes, us, uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Zach Gelb is where you can find me. You can listen to me Monday through Friday from 6 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 3 to 7 p.m. Pacific on CBS Sports Radio. I'm telling you, we need a sus fathead, one on the left and then one on the right, right behind you to promote this great podcast. We need more sus. We have you in the center. We need more sus on the left and more sus on the right. I'm going to go
0: check the pricing on those fa- on fat heads. Online. You know
1: what you should actually do? I have a better idea. Mm. Get a fat head of my producer and Ryan trace Hickey <laughs> since she doesn't treat you nicely. And then you take some darts and you have a good dartboard in your basement and you just throw darts at Hickey all day.
0: You know, I'm probably after this, I, I'm going into this, I'm going to the student stu- station to come. Um, run run the help with the newsroom right I gotta that's have to fine see-
1: if you want to bring darts in person and throw them at him we encourage
0: that i just <laughs> didn't tell you that <laughs> just bring a bunch of darts and just start throwing them at his face <laughs> it would be funny
1: but if something goes wrong and his eye pops out then you're yeah. gonna
0: get me yeah, I'm probably going to get fired if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if you threw it at me, maybe Hickey, they may go, ah, yeah, we were looking to get rid of him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Zach. That's going to do it, everybody. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anger.fm, wherever else you listen. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.